You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. I'm your host, Harsha, and welcome one, welcome all. If you guys are recurring viewers, we've missed you. Welcome back to another episode. If you're new viewers, where have you been all my life? You are at the right place right now, finally. But anyway, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. For you guys who are new to the show, Changing Reality is a space that enables us to meet and feature phenomenal people from all walks of life. Or in essence, changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing phenomenal people from social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world in hopes that we'll be able to pick out a little bit of nuggets of wisdoms from their journey that will shorten our own learning curves, inspire us to take that leap that we're looking for, and at the same time, help us, of course, create our reality. And this show is something that is so special to me and it's something that I wanted to do because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who make waves in the lives of the people around them. They do phenomenal things and I'm super passionate about learning how they were able to do that, learning what made them who they are so that hopefully we can replicate that in small ways as well. And to show you the power of stories and why it's important to have conversations like this, I actually founded my whole life, my whole business on the power of these stories and conversations. I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance back at home in Malaysia, where we're from, which today works with 35,000 students across 28 countries, collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education, as well as global education partners to provide an alternative education platform for any student out there who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and at the same time, start to create their own careers that create meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them as well. And we've been fortunate to date to not only work with these 35,000 students, but with 970 over communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by kids as young as 8 to 25 years old. And the essence of this, the reason we've been able to do all of that is stories. It's kind individuals who've been willing to share their time, share their thoughts, their experiences, so that other people can learn from them and learn what makes us human in a way, what makes us able to succeed, able to follow our hearts. And just like that, I, I believe that this show will hopefully be the platform for some of you to experience something similar so that you too can go out there and start seeing what needs to be done for you to achieve the goals that you want in your happiness, health, career, and passion. And that this can springboard you to where you need to be. So once again, if you have any questions, if there's anything that you guys want to talk about, let's know in the chat below and we'll take it as many as we can. So today's speaker is someone truly phenomenal. If you talk about the power of stories, she is probably the most powerful person in, uh, I would say, at least my sphere of uh, amazing Ivy League students, in a sense, because she's someone who has a powerful story herself, and at the same time, is someone who loves stories too. So she actually uh, is someone who, I would say, has taken the world by storm through simply pursuing her dreams. Now, many of us dream for ourselves. We have things that we want to accomplish, careers that we want to, to do in a sense sometime in the future, but she's actually changed the reality around her to be able to live all of those dreams. She's someone who dreamt of being an author at age six. And from there, 
has gone on to have a phenomenal career and today has two uh, book deals under her belt with her debut novel uh, just out in the summer called The Heart of the Deal. Prior to that, she also lived a dream that I think many Penn students that I know have as well, where she actually graduated from Dartmouth University. She went from intern to vice president at Goldman Sachs just by the age of 26. And today she lives all of these amazing things had shares her story on the world stages from TEDx conferences, articles on Business Insiders, and so many others. So hopefully adding to her uh, phenomenal list of media appearances and achievements will be a little footnote that is her interview on this show. So today let's hear from the amazing Lindsay McMillan on her journey from student, phenomenal uh, career in finance to author and welcoming her onto the show. Thank you so much, Harsha. What an absolutely gorgeous introduction. And I only hope I can live up to half of that. So thank you so much for having me. Super exciting. Well, if they want to know the phenomenal things, they should go and read the Business Insider article. This is <laughs> the deets, all right? But no, the behind you. the scenes, exactly. Yeah, behind the scenes. Like, the show where you get to yell at anyone you want. And I don't know. <laughs> let all that stress out but we really do appreciate you being on the show as i said you are someone who's so inspiring as a little girl who wanted to be an author who loved writing and stories and i know so many other people not just at penn but around the world who probably have that dream as well but have no idea where to get there and you did it you you i mean sure there is your only 26 there's a whole life ahead of you i know but to an extent you've achieved at least a slimmer of that dream that so many people every day wish to accomplish. So thank you so much for being on the show. No, absolutely. And I just wrapped up my three week book tour. So this is a really beautiful um, event to have as I'm kind of like coming down from that, uh, having to be on 24 seven. And I'm now back in my hometown in Michigan and have been enjoying some quieter days by the lake swimming and relaxing. So I'm really excited to tune in here. And like you said, I think so many of us have these we're really versatile humans, right? And we have so many sides to us. And I think sometimes the world can try to put us in a box. Um, you know, you're this or you're that. You're either a creative person or you're a corporate person, you're an author or you're an investment banker. And I hope what my story and kind of what my life can show people is that we can embrace all of the different parts of us. The fact that I was in finance made me a better author. The fact that I was a creative writer, um, you know, made me better in my corporate job as well. So I think it's kind of like embracing those dichotomies and really the fullness of the human, um, the human range here. No, beautifully, beautifully said. And I think just kind of zooming into your story and where it starts. I read somewhere that you wanted to be an author since age six. You had all of those, what do you want to be posters that yeah. you hung up <laughs> six-year-olds do in a sense. Tell me a little bit about why this was a goal for you. Like, why even think about it? Do you watch a documentary of, of, about an author and think like, hmm, that this sounds interesting. Did you love reading or did you just hate reading so much? You're like, I can do a better job. I'm six years old and I'm, and I'm sure that I could write better than this in a sense. So where did this spark start? I think it probably started with my mom reading um, stories before bed to my brother and me. So. Um, you know, from a really young age, the Phantom Tollbooth, Little Women, Berenstein Bears books, kind of like the whole range. And I, think, but okay. <laughs> I know she started us young and then also Harry Potter was coming out 
around then. Um, and I had a big brother, so he was reading the book. So of course I was trying to, you know, read the books in first grade too. Um, and I was a pretty shy little kid, but I remember asking my first grade teachers kind of plucking up the courage and saying, I wrote a short story, um, a Halloween short story in my spare time. Like, could I read it to the class? And they gave me the opportunity to sit in front of the class of 25 students at my public school and just read the story. Um, and I think that was kind of like the first glimpse of realizing, like you alluded to in, in your beautiful introduction, but the power of stories, not just for me to hold in my heart, but to get out into the world um, and, you know, let it touch other people's uh, hearts and just think differently, feel differently. Not everybody is going to love what you write. Not everybody is going to think it's the best thing in the world, but hopefully they can come away from it with some kind of different perspective. Um, and I think that is like how we expand compassion and expand our hearts on the really micro level that becomes scalable just with um, with how many more people can reach it. No, definitely. And, and I love the power of writing, as I said, as I alluded to as well, I, I, I always dreamt of, be, of being a writer as a kid. I used to do my sister's English homework because they used to give her better prompts on, on like what to write about. And I, and I used to do it and send it to her teacher to Mark and be like, oh, you write that. And, and I feel like one of the reasons why I loved it was because it expressed or it enabled me to explore or reinvent myself in, in unique and fun ways. Like I felt like a little part of my soul was yeah. every like 15 year old drabble or or thing that I put up for your perspective in a sense when was the first time you wrote a story or something that made you really feel like oh gosh this is good this is like something that I am in love with in a sense it could be at six I, I don't doubt your talent in a sense but when was the time that you wrote something that really truly resonated with you and felt that a part of you was being put out there on the paper yeah, I would say the first big project and taste of that was when I was 18. So it was the summer before I went off to college and I wrote my first full-length fiction manuscript and it was 450 pages. Um, and it was a time in my life when my parents were splitting up. I was going through a lot of turmoil. I was also, you know, about to go to college and kind of leave one world behind. Um, and I really think that I connected so much with it because I used the power of fiction to write about a protagonist who was on some ways going through similar life experiences to I was. So her parents were also splitting up. She was going to college. She was falling in love for the first time. But like it let me also, like you said, with kind of like this reinvention, it let me have that creative freedom to just play with fiction and really just, I think in the past I'd mostly written memoir or short stories but the full length of a novel just really gave me this escapism. And at the same time, in this cool way, it also brought me closer to my own story. So even though I wasn't writing memoir and I wasn't writing nonfiction, I think that the power of fiction is actually, it can put this distance between um, you know, the story and our real lives and it kind of lets us have this mirror. So I totally fell in love with being able to express my life through fiction and then really and how like this per personal situation becomes universal um so i think that's also what what stories can do and then i went to dartmouth and took you know all the creative writing classes and worked on that manuscript and several others but i think without that summer before college experience i don't even think i have a hard time thinking that my book would have just come out and that my next one um would be coming out because even though the first ones never got published it was it lit me on fire in that way and showed me 
not only can I start something, I can finish it and it might not be published yet, but we're going in the right direction and my heart is fully in it. You know, it's nice to know you were insane at 18 years old itself. And we're able to write 450 pages. What, how did you even like, like concentrate on a laptop screen for that long? I do not know, but that is phenomenal and in itself an achievement, which if you ever want to publish it, I, I would love to have like the first read and thing, you know, just, just saying. I, I, that like, would be fun to go back. I'm toying with it. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I just like credit on that, but uh, no, but. Tell us a little bit about like your time in college in a sense, because a phenomenal summer, I would have, I would have always kind of <laughs> like, like not expected life to get better after writing 450 pages of a novel in the sense that that would be the peak of my life if that was ever possible. But for you, in a sense, moving into college and it was kind of reflecting on a time that was a pivot in your life and you were writing about it. You were at the same time experiencing it. Tell me about that time in your life, you know, how was it like first going to college? How was it like uh, making that transition with everything going around and, and this outlet is writing as well? Yeah, so I, I grew up here in small town Michigan where I've recently moved back to. But for me, going off to Dartmouth was a big jump. I didn't know anybody there. I, um, you know, it was going, no one in my family had gone. It was no one from my high school had ever, ever actually gotten into Dartmouth. So it was like a big, felt like a big step um, and spreading my wings. And I was really wanted to go. But I was also pretty scared and terrified. And um, I think also, I think like one of the reasons I've always loved writing is I, I never, I was never bullied in school or any, anything like that really, but I always felt a little bit on the outside. Like I'd never quite fit into this group or that group or this clique or being invited to all the sleepovers. And I think like writing is just like such a beautiful way to pour yourself in and make friends with the characters, make friends yeah. Um, you know, with yourself as you go. And so at Dartmouth, I definitely, I think, came out of my shell a bit socially and was in all of these new experiences, in all of these new classes. Um, and I think I felt a bit of the pressure, self-induced largely, but also kind of with going to an Ivy League school. It's kind of like get on the economics track because we were liberal arts, but that was kind of like the business, um, finance, consulting, you know, track there. And so I took those classes, I, I liked them and I found it stimulating, but then I also really stumbled upon more of the creative writing department when I had this manuscript that I'd written and I realized I could workshop that in the classes and then I could write new stuff. And that to me, I think was a big turning point of realizing, I think it's so, um, when you find that thing in life that just comes easily to you, and I'm not saying writing always comes easily to me as far as the day to day, but I was so motivated to see it through. I was so passionate about it and didn't feel like I was doing school work when I was writing chapters versus my economic stuff. You know, I had my color coded notes and study guides and that was up in the library for so many hours, but it felt like work. Um, and so I think I kind of let my, my heart guide me more towards also really expanding in the creative writing department. Um, but even then it was like, there wasn't a clear path to publishing. I think Dartmouth did so well as far as teaching me about writing and honing the craft and storytelling. But I don't think academic institutions do the best job of really connecting that dream with the reality of, okay, how do you make this commercial? How do you publish it? How do you build a career of it? Um, and so that's why kind of when I came out of Dartmouth, I wasn't 
breaking in yet um, as far as pitching literary agents or publishers. Like I hadn't gotten traction there. So I thought, let me start out on the more conventional career path. I have my foot in the door in this great investment bank um, and try to keep writing as on the side. But I think the risk is whenever we keep things on the side, it's like it's very easy to let it die or it's very easy to kind of let the world tell you, oh, you know, that was just a college dream. Oh, you know, you have to be realistic. You have to grow up. You can't make a career of that. Um, so I kind of had to just be the voice in my head through, you know, from high school to college to to Wall Street that said, okay, this is more than just a pipe dream. This is more than just a side passion. Like, let's actually turn this into a career. You know, I think the, the beautiful thing about you is that you are insanely talented at antithetical things. So yes, the creative side of it, the finance side of it, there are two completely different things. And yet you seem to be amazing at both of them. I'm not saying this is the fact that, you know, VP at Goldman Sachs by 26. I mean, that, that's a pretty... I was actually 28, 28. Oh, 28? <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry that it was and not dating myself. <laughs> what a big difference, but all right. Okay, but 28. And, and that itself, I think, goes to show. And that thing that you said was so, so important that you you reach a part, I think, like um, college is great, but you have to make a decision after that and you have to do something after that. There's there is like a, there's a, it feels at least like there's a deadline to, to do something and, and to make kind of the next swerve in your life at that point. And many of them, that's where dreams, I would say, that you hear these horror stories of people saying, I'm going to go and do this for a little while. And then while I work on my writing or my music or, or something else, and then that something else dies somewhere. I know, that would scare me so much when I would hear that. People would be like, oh, yeah, I thought I was going to be a writer. And now 25 years has gone, has gone by and I haven't, you know, written anything. And I'd be like, no. <laughs> and if you were a totally average person, like, like who did averagely at your job, and, and didn't progress that fast. Maybe I would believe you and, and think, hmm, you know what, Lindsay spent a lot of time writing, but you you progressed in the career and you progressed in your writing. How did you do that? How did you do both at that same time? <sighs> yeah, I, looking back, I still kind of am like, how did I do both so <laughs> intensely at the same time? I mean, I think part of it is that adrenaline that you have um, coming out of school in your early 20s. But my first couple years, I did not write as much. Um, I was doing the more, I was on the buy side, but I was doing private credit and equity investing. Um, so I was more on deal flow oriented, which meant I was working more on, like on call 24 seven, basically. You get staffed on deals and you don't know if you get your weekend. Um, that was not a good environment for me for my mental wellness. I, like, I always was the person who would, do the work as far ahead as I could. I never pulled all-nighters in college and it was it was not really that structure. Um, and at the same time, I wasn't really having that sacred time to carve out and write and know that I would be able to devote to my, to my writing. It was very up and down. Um, so I felt like combination just for my, you know, mental well-being and not feeling, I knew I wasn't like passionate about the work. I found it interesting enough, but it wasn't my calling. So for me to devote my full life to that, was not in alignment with what I felt like my, you know, broader soul calling was. So I knew something needed to change. Um, and then I moved really to the marketing and brand and content strategy side of Goldman. So at that point, um, that was still when I was analyst and then I made associate and then I went to London, but still kind of in that world um, and made VP. And I think like from 
you know, my last, I was at Goldman six years. So the last four of those years, I really was working quite normal hours, right? Like I was working like 50-ish hour weeks, which is really good for, for Wall Street. I was working from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m.-ish, check in on the weekends a little bit. But I knew that I had this schedule and that worked really well with how I thought about fitting my writing into it. Because my investment banking friends, oh yeah, go on. No, 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 go ahead. You, you're much more interesting than my stupid questions. No, you're good. I was just saying like my investment banking friends were probably, you know, working more hours at work, right? But I was like taking some of those hours and allocating it towards my writing. I took a lower salary or lower bonus with that like in mind as well. So there are certainly trade-offs involved, but I just felt so much more energized and so much more myself when I was really devoting a few hours a day. So I called it like my Hannah Montana double life. I was going to this like coffee shop across from the Goldman Sachs headquarters that opened at 6 a.m. And I would write there for two or three hours. And then I would like put on my blazer and the, go from creative Lindsay to corporate Lindsay and go back <laughs> into the office. And um, the interesting thing is I didn't really open up about my creative side and my love of writing at work. And this is something I, I'm curious your thoughts on it. And even like, feels like Gen Z is so much better now at like this idea of authenticity and like bringing your full self. But I just felt, I don't know, I felt like it was like this part of me that I, on the one hand, I didn't even want people like asking, so is your book done? Like, you know, when's it gonna get published? And then also being like, oh, are you not focused on your work because you're writing all the time? Um, and oh, you write you write stories like with love and romance. Like, is that does that mean you're too um, girly or emotional? And like all these thoughts kind of going around. So I kind of dealt with it by literally looking at it as two different careers, um, which which was not in perfect harmony all the time. Like sometimes I definitely felt burned out or not motivated in my day job when I wanted to spend all my time writing, or if I would be like in a writing slump and work would, work would be going well. Um, there was There is kind of like that constant push and pull, but it definitely, I'm like so glad that I had my day job as I was writing, because it gave me this great career advancement, financial stability, and candidly, like I was able to absorb all these stories. I was able to then portray a woman on Wall Street and help women in business feel seen and empowered in a way I wouldn't have been able to do had I not lived it. Um, and I was also able to learn all these business skills that helped me pitch agents, break in, get publishers and get like a really successful sales and marketing plan and high profile PR. So. It's definitely not for the faint of heart, but if you what if you're if your side thing and you know it because you juggle a lot of things too, but like if what you're doing on top of work is what lights you up, I just think there's this abundant energy source that will keep you going. And you know, I think the testament to 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 for us to notice that okay, you were committed to both equally was the fact that you were like, I will wake up at six a.m. to do this, and just kind of like, was this the coffee shop like that you? This was, so this was one in London. Yeah. So I put this on because I wrote in all these coffee shops around New York and then London. Yeah. I mean, I was waking up actually before 5 a.m. to get downtown, um, get dressed, get downtown, like write and then um, get in flow. But the days that I wouldn't do that, um, I would just feel so off. So like with some people, I also, you know, like to work out or eat right and stuff. But 
if I don't write, it feels like part of my balance and routine That's is really filter. I'm super irritable and miserable to be around. Like, what's wrong, Lindsay? Are you sick? Exactly. Are you well? Right this morning. Yeah. I think that is testament to if something really is your passion. But one of the things that I thought was incredible is that you did this three hours in the early mornings and probably a lot more in the day. You 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 looked at it as a career, even beyond before you got the book deal, before you got the literary agent and all of that. And it's one thing when you have a book deal and you say, you know, what, I'm going to devote my time to writing my next book or, or I have an agent and you devote some time to writing. But it's a little bit harder to see something ahead of time in a sense and essentially prepare for something when you don't even know if it's going to work out. And you, again, wrote every day, almost every day for, for years in a sense. And then it's kind of you, you manifested your reality in a sense from that repetitive action, from, from kind of that, that, that focus that you had towards it. When you were writing and before you got the agent, before you got kind of the, the literary deals, what actually made you do it? Was it just something that you did because it, it, it relieved you, it, it made you happy, or was it something you did with a gold in mind or a combination of the both? But what made you consistently do that, even in times where you may not have seen the end in mind? Yeah, that is such a beautiful articulation of it because people kind of now look at me and, oh, yeah, you're 28, you have two book deals. Like, of course, you left your job to go do this. But like you said, there were years before when I did not have even an agent. And I had written, basically written and pitched um, essentially five books that never got published. <laughs> um, and in the midst of that, like, yeah, now we're on kind of, we're not on the other side, but we're far enough along that you can see, yes, this was leading. And now it's a, nice story is a, now, but yeah. it's a great stepping stone. Yeah. But there was, there were um, many days, months, and years where I genuinely questioned if it was ever going to happen. Um, I would call my mom so many times be like just crying like if i would get another rejection or if i was just feeling so drained like why am i wasting all this putting all this time like my i really wasn't prioritizing relationships i was meeting really nice guys and just had no energy basically for dating um i you know had really close friendships but some of them basically my friend group got smaller which isn't all bad but there are certainly like I had to really prioritize writing at a time when from the outside looking in, people might've been like, why, why are you making that such a focus? And are you kind of insane? Like, is this, are you not taking a message that you just shouldn't, this isn't really your path. Like you're getting all these rejections and all this. I think what kept me going, um, one, just like that internal fire and just knowing that this is tied to my calling and it's a bit hard to, sometimes explain that to other people. And I don't think we should have to, but I think it's kind of this litmus test where you say like, am I, even if, you know, these end goals and tangible markers don't happen, like, will I be joyful and glad that I will have written these books to pass down, to share just with my close friends and family and, and myself. Um, and for me, I felt like absolutely I needed to be doing this. Um, and then the other thing was on the, the feedback side, like the feedback on my writing when I would get agents and publishers to actually take a look, even though they were saying no at the time, the feedback was very strong on the writing itself. They were more concerned with the packaging of it, the marketing of it, where it fits on the shelf. Oh, you know, this is too, um, too much between genres or, you know, we don't have actually 
this category isn't big enough right now, like come back later, blah, blah, blah. So it really felt to me like if I kept going, I was making forward progress. Um, and I could look back and see each time I was getting a little closer. And I was also in New York City and networking in the evenings and on the weekends with just anyone I could. I would go to other author events and ask them about their publishing journey. I would reach out to Dartmouth alums who were in that world and you know, just try to get a coffee and learn any literary agent connections. So I felt like I wasn't at a standstill. I was moving forward. It just wasn't a lightning speed, um, but it was enough to really kind of give me that confidence that it wasn't just, um, you know, some crazy American Idol contestant who is tone deaf, who is just insisting on devoting hours of her day to this. Um, so it felt like it was, it was this kind of uncomfortable distance where it felt within reach, but still so far away. And that's a very painful place to be because you know that it could happen but you have no idea if it will happen and so that's why and we can talk more about it later but like one of my what i feel like is one of my purposes for going through really this decade-long journey is helping other people bridge that gap between where they are now and where they want to be um but yeah i think fundamentally you have to make sure and i had to make sure this was really something that was going to be like I had to be internally motivated and internally um, driven to achieve it because if I were just doing it so I could, you know, hold up this book at the end and say, hey, look, I wrote a book, that would not be, that would not be worth all of the incremental years. So you really do have to find joy, um, joy in the process itself. Oh, phenomenally said, phenomenally said. Tell me also a little bit about the first time you, you, you or the time that you actually got the age at the time that, I mean, we, we spoke about the, the, the stuff which I, which I wanted to speak about, which was, which was, which was making me wonder. So now let's talk about happier times. So you get the agent, you get the book deal in a sense. How did that start happening? Like, did you wake up one day with like 50 emails in your inbox saying we like, this novel is going to be a big hit. Let me represent you. I know you were fielding offers, but tell me what was it like? How, as you transitioned into kind of that phase, I'm a believer that there's a season for sowing season for reaping. So there's times where you work hard, see nothing. And there's times where things come a little bit easier in a sense, because you've done the groundwork. So tell me about that second part of life in a way. So, so we can make the audience feel a bit better. No, absolutely. I think it definitely was a season of reaping after a long sewing. Um, and I had, I ended up having a few different offers of representation for this novel. Um, it was originally called The Volatile Love Market, all about the ups and downs of dating and French. Love it. Yes. Now it's the heart of the deal. Um, and I could tell. I think it was a couple things. One, I knew I had more of a network, so I would actually get people to look at it and take it more seriously when it was done. And two, um, it just felt like the writing itself was stronger. It felt like it was timely. It felt like it was really relevant. It was, I had a pers personal connection to the story being a woman on Wall Street and shining light on, you know, some of these gender biases that come across in the story. It's a love story, but it also hits on kind of like, you know, these heavier themes of, female empowerment and stepping off the conventional track and all of that. Um, so I felt like it was the right book at the right time and all of the trial and error up to that point really got people's attention right away. But then I, I actually, I love my agent so much and I'm so grateful that I really just serendipitously found her. She was one I just cold outreached and cold queried, it's called, 
Um, but someone from a bigger agency, I was really tempted to go with because of the brand name and everything. But they really wanted me to skew the story in the direction of the male character and his battle with depression and um, his perspective. And I felt very strongly this is the female's story. This is Ray's um, journey. And yes, hit dating and trying to love someone who battles depression and mental health challenges is a part of it. But it's really so much more than the, the, the guy's story. It was her whole holistic journey, not just in her love life, but in her career, in her friendships, and really just becoming the woman that she wanted to be in her 20s in New York. Um, and so I think like it's back to just trusting your intuition and your gut. And I just had such a good feeling with my agent, even though she was from a slightly smaller um, agency, I felt like I was so confident in her vision for the book. So we did, we signed, um, I guess, in October of 2020. So I remember, but probably like even aside from those ones, I got a, a different offer, which was my very first offer. And I remember that morning I was out on the back deck here just doing some yoga and I was back in the pandemic with my mom and uh, my boyfriend was was upstairs. And then I like ran inside and I woke him up and I was like, I got, I got an offer because I saw the um, the email in my inbox. And that was a wild moment because even though I didn't end up signing with that agent, it was just such validation that, okay, this is, this is going to happen. And then it was kind of like the floodgates opened a little bit and the others came in. So I will, I'll never forget that day because it feels so exciting when you feel like someone outside of your friends and family and professors just really believe in you and think that this book is going to be huge. And um, it's a cool feeling. No, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I have another moment I think that we can share a little bit about on our screen which is when you actually got the book. And I think uh, this is a nice yeah. photo of the box, you know, arriving with the book in hand. Tell me how that felt, holding the book in your hand uh, with, you know, after so many years of, of effort in so many, I would say, hours put in the book itself. And then now finally it's, it's at your doorstep, you have it in your hands. Tell me about that feeling in a sense and, and, and waking up that morning. Did you expect what you were gonna see? Were, were you happy with the font? Tell us the story. <laughs> It was very surreal. It felt like a long time coming because I was actually in London working for Goldman Sachs over there. Um, I'm a, such a believer in life chapters, I guess, because I like to write novels. So I felt like the London chapter of my life was really important for me to explore and move to London by myself without knowing anybody, um, work in a different culture and, and absorb stories. My next book, my second book is actually set in London. But all this to say, I had, so my publisher wouldn't wouldn't mail me the books abroad because <laughs> they said the shipping was too much, which is fair, I guess. But I was like, come on, this is so many years. Yeah, send me one book. <laughs> but they sent a box of books to my mom's house here in Michigan. So we actually did a virtual reveal. I was in Barcelona visiting my very good friend, also ex-Wall Street artist. Um, and I was walking down the street my mom, FaceTimes me and she's like, I have the boxes. And so she opens them up and we're both squealing and just being little little kids together. So that was a really special experience. And then when I finally actually got back to the States and got to open the box, um, it, it was very cool. I think um, just, yeah, like seeing my name on it and actually holding it. But I think when you're so close to it, you almost, um, 
like I have to get off out of my perfectionist head with it sometimes. Like I actually, I, I of course read it so many times to proofread it along with my editors and stuff. But once it was final, I almost didn't even want to touch it. <laughs> Be like, okay, it's good enough. Like get it out in the world, let other people experience it. Um, but I think it's a beautiful cover. I, I originally sketched um, just like on a piece of lined paper that I wanted the, the stock market to be on the cover and then the stock market mirroring the, uh, the New York City skyline because a big theme is like the volatility of the stock market mirrors the volatility of the relationship that the protagonist is in, which mirrors the volatility of the New York City skyline. So I knew I wanted those elements to come together. Um, I had a little bit of a, I wasn't sure how I felt about the pink, um, but I actually, it's, kind of, it's more salmon-y, but I do love it. And I'm so impressed so far with how many men are picking it up and having an experience with it because the genre is called women's fiction, which is total BS. It's like, I can't stand that term because there's no such thing as men's fiction. It's just <laughs> called fiction. Like there's literally okay. no category called men's fiction and there's a big category called women's fiction. And, you know, society just expects that, oh, naturally women will read and connect with stories with men characters um, and they don't, think the same of the flip side. So I have been like so many Wall Street colleagues, um, male friends, all of them just kind of really strangers just connecting and feeling seen or at least relating to it in some way or understanding the human mind, <laughs> mind and heart a little bit better. There are so many ways that I think that it can be valuable for all gender, all ages. So yeah, my reaction to the cover, like I, I really do love it and I'm I'm glad it's the color that it is. Um, and just holding it in my hand, I still kind of like just stroke it as my little baby. <laughs> you should, you should. It's I, I've been reading the book on, uh, on, on Google Books because I live halfway across the world and shipping is expensive, as you said. And, yeah. um, and, and I really like, like in the process of reading it, one thing that really struck me is simply the tone that you use in writing it. It is something that I, I don't know if it's because I am also, I'm, I'm a teenager and, and I resonate with that. I don't think so. I think you're just kind of talented in a way, but it's so real, the things that you say, like like there's one part, which I, I, I remember was my favorite part where the, I think it's early in the book, the protagonist is talking to her friends and Ray is basically saying, I'm going to go mad if I see any more spreadsheets. And and, and it's like, uh, like my she gives this kind of like timeline for how her life should be. Then she starts kind of like calculating back backwards and I was just like this is hilarious because it's like it's so relatable that it hurts a little bit and it is so funny because I just thought for for you to write something that immediately strikes a chord with me someone you, you do not know or at that time did not know at all in a sense and, and it was a complete stranger means that you have hit a nerve that is probably salient in many people that many people are experiencing in a way and I would say that goes beyond gender that goes beyond um any other little box that we can fit ourselves in. It's something, it's a human problem that we are feeling in this generation, in this time, in this world. How did you do that? Where where did you think, like, like how did you think, hmm, everyone's going through this, let me write this down. Was, was there a mathematical formula that you had to process, run the equations by? Like, like, how do you predict what people are feeling? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, that is just such great validation and just made, makes my heart sing as an author. That is really what you hope. For, but I, I really don't. People are like, who did who did you think about when you were writing the book? Who did you write the book for? And the reality is, 
I find it to be a little bit manufactured when I'm trying to write to please other people. And I had to fight this because I knew what the publishing industry wanted. Maybe I knew what would sell for them, but I, I, I had to write my truth and I had to write this story as I felt it coming out of me. So I hoped that, you know, other people would relate, but you, it's one of those situations where it's like this really personal one person, one setting, one act, one, um, depiction of it. And then I think through that, it becomes like the personal becomes really universal. Um, but I think like the, the magic of this book is the relatability of it. I think it's how the, the publishing world, a lot of times they want you to have like one super sensational pop point, like one crazy thing, you know, the alien attack or like the super extreme mental health where there's a suicide or there's you know, everyone's really, tragic backstory, you know, exactly. Tragic backstory, really hard, like bad, like sexual assault at work, stuff like that. That's a hook. And I, I really pushed back on all of that. I said, I need this to be relatable. It's all about the subtlety of these little moments, the things that we are thinking as, as people growing up, trying to, you know, fight this pressure that we feel from other people about how our life should look, the voice in our head that's saying we need to achieve this in our relationships by this timeline, this in our careers by this timeline. Um, and just like you said, of like breaking out of boxes, it's, it's the character's journey to do just that. It's been my journey to do just that. Um, and I just felt very strongly that like, you know, if I looked at the people, you know, not just my direct friends in New York, but anyone who has ever kind of like picked their head up and said okay wait i'm in my 20s or you know even i've been impressed by even you know teenagers reading it and having these thoughts of feeling like i have these goals for my life but i really want to ultimately just live a fulfilling truthful life that doesn't fit anybody else's expectations like how do i kind of um free myself of that but still acknowledge like that the other pressures are there um and it's been so cool to feel that it has definitely struck a chord. And I think like back to the, the business analogies too, like there is a gap in the market for this. There are not that many books that feature strong women in finance, um, fiction, love story protagonists. There are not that many books that are just about that relatability of growing up and trying to you know chart your own authentic life path. So I think what was originally perhaps uh, something that publishers were nervous about with like, oh, is there a big enough hook? Is it, you know, sensational enough? Now that's actually what is striking the chord with people. So it has been just really validating to, you know, stay true to my instinct with it and so rewarding to feel how it is connecting all across the world. You know, very well, very well said and very well done in practice as well with, with how you've managed to get the book out. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about kind of your book tour how is it like meeting the people who are reading the book, who, who are engaging with it? We, we see you here, I think, signing and, 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 and having this amazing back and forth with the crowd. And again, you, you're definitely someone who's very vibrant, who, who's put a lot of soul in this. And then a book tour is a, a magical experience that I think it's, it's brilliant that you have in a sense, because after the pandemic, going out there, meeting people on the ground itself is a strange notion. And to do it for a project that you love and that, and that you put so much work in is probably 
uh, another surreal feeling and another benchmark in, in, in the world or the life of an author. What was that experience like for you traveling space to space, bookshop to bookshop, and, and meeting the people who have and will be reading your book? It's incredible. It's kind of this shift where you say this book is, is mine and then you say this book is ours. And you really <laughs> let it go into the world and you let everyone else have their own experience with it. Um, just people coming up and connecting with it on such a deeply personal level from, you know, the, the man saying this helped him connect with his daughter more to the, you know, women in their 20s saying, I thought I was the only one thinking these thoughts. This would have saved me thousands on therapy. Um, to, you know, women my grandmother's age who say, this is such a cool glimpse into a younger generation and, um, you know, into life in New York, or I used to live in New York and this, you know, brought me back to that stage. So it is so beautiful. Um, and I also think like the way I've tried to go about it is to reinvent the, the book tour because it, yes, you know, the book, um, the actual bookstore events can be great. And they're, I love bookstores so much. And there's also a large segment of my audience that doesn't naturally convene in bookstores. They are more entrepreneurial. They are more business-minded. They are gathering in their co-working spaces, in their yoga studios, in their friends' backyard gardens, in um, you know, their corporations. And so that's really where I had about half of the events in actual bookstores and then half in these more you know out-of-the-box modern locations where I would partner with women founders or um, just, um, you know, people in my target audience who I felt like might be left out or a little bit. And I think like that's such a big opportunity for authors to expand um, and really go. It's like just a kind of direct to consumer marketing strategy that plays out in the in-person events. And I think particularly for a story like this, where it features a woman in business and is so particular <laughs> to that world. Like it is hopefully broader to anybody, you know, in any life stage and in industry, but for people who work in business or finance, like this is, they, I mean, they are freaking out about it. It's like, I have never felt like, you know, so seen, like no one, I didn't know um, anyone else like took toilet naps in the bathroom stalls at work and things like that. Just these little details where it's like, this is so particular to um, kind of that experience. And I really wanted to meet that segment where they where they were too. And I really identify more as an entrepreneur than, than an author because I'm not trying to just stay in my lane and just write books. I'm trying to bring it to market, uh, you know, launch a product, build a brand. Um, and I think that's, that's why I felt so energized by the book tour was kind of this hybrid and this combination of the old and the new um, and how, you know, one can really strengthen the other. And and the very cool part is you you seem to be bringing in, and, and I saw that you did an entire interview somewhere on, on just the marketing side of the book, which is just, I would say, a perfect amalgamation of your experiences in your, pre, in, in your career, uh, again, in, in the marketing communication side and, and bringing that into what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about how, how that nuance or, or that, that that very subtle nuance between author and I think the term used is authorpreneur, which I love and and I'll and I'll steal when the next time I meet an authorpreneur. But essentially, it is a it is a fine or I wouldn't say it's really a fine line. It is a very different kind of a 
approach to having a book in a sense, as you said. It's not just about staying in your lane. It's not just about writing. It's about thinking through the other aspects of it, from the marketing, from who is it reaching, from, from crafting those strategies. I know you've got sponsors. You've got uh, these additional venues. How how do you like how does someone out there who is an author who or or is someone who is in a in a role where they are not expected to do the marketing how do they start thinking about these kind of things? Yeah, I mean that and that was kind of a big calculus with why I quit my Goldman job to go all in because I said okay I'm not just going all in to write the books I'm going all in to build a business here build a brand and just yeah try and you know use all of this business finance marketing knowledge that I've acquired um, and bring it to a more old fashioned book industry. So like you alluded to for our big book launch in New York City, we had we really bootstrapped the events. I pitched women um, owned brands to sponsor the event, which were really aligned with the female empowerment themes in the novel and women supporting women. Um, and that was just an, an awesome night where it felt so um, kind of modern and entrepreneurial and it's really saying I'm grateful to my publisher and to the traditional book world for getting me the credibility of the Penguin Random House brand name and distributing it, getting it out all the Barnes and Nobles. There's such value there. But when you look at the market, it's so hard to break in as a first time author. So a lot of authors kind of think, oh, wow, I, you know, got a book deal and now you know, the finish line is launch is publication day. And once publication day happens, we, we celebrate. And then, you know, I put my feet back and rest. And then I write my next book. The issue with that for me, what I felt like is that wasn't going to necessarily help me actually break in and start building a name for myself in a way that I could monetize, not beyond the book, but with speaking events, with coaching, with these other pillars of my of my business as an author. So I felt like if I if I were content just having my writing being my side hustle and working, you know, a corporate job in the day, I I don't think I would have tried to bring this authorpreneurship lens. But because I really wanted to align them and to build something that, you know, really was going to be sustainable and um, energizing for a career. I think it's hugely empowering and I love, you know, working with other authors and aspiring authors to say, yes, we're going to work on your, your storytelling. Yes, we're going to work on your writing and we're going to say, how are you planting the seeds? How are you sowing in your ter terminology? So later we can reap the benefits of, you know, your brand building and your marketing strategy. And the way we've done it with the heart of the deal is really in this grassroots way. So partnering with all kinds of universities, women in business organizations, um, you know, co-working spaces, yoga studios, and, and bookstores and book clubs and all of that, but really planting all these different seeds so that it can be this virtuous cycle where you have to be known and you have to be out there. And the risk is if you don't wear your business hat and if you don't bring those business skills to the table, you unless you basically win the lotter lottery when it comes to books, um, you're not going to just make it on your own. You'll just kind of, um, you know, it's, it's very, you make very little royalties from, from this. It's not a way to sustain yourself really from a financial point of view or just from a, um, 
like a, just a career standpoint of really how you actually make a career out of writing. It it's requires so many business skills, the brand partnerships, the sales and marketing, event planning, all this stuff that I did not necessarily think about um, in the early days, but I'm so glad I had my business experience. And that's why people say, oh, you're, you're a writer, you're an author. It's like, well, my writing is a very small section of the day. Maybe I write for three hours a day and the rest of my day, I'm doing you know, all of the basically logistics of running a startup, it feels like. No, it's true in a sense. And it, and I think your brand is coming out there. I think people are getting to know you. You've spoken on TEDx conferences, so phenomenal, very, very cool. You've been featured on media from Business Insider to many others in a way. So the story is something that I would say, as you know, you as you, as we kind of agreed on the terminology, uh, sowing kind of the, the future successes and the future uh, opportunities from this career as an author, which is so forward thinking that is so telling that you are a business and finance person. And it's so <laughs> and inspiring for those to really see that it's not just about hitting the milestones about what can you do with the book when it's out? What can you do with the kind of resources, the doors it opens up, the opportunities that are there? And I think that I've been guilty in the past, and I think many people are guilty of reaching one milestone and then being, phew, that's done. What do we do now that we don't utilize the thing that we have for kind of like the future uh, of what we want to achieve? So definitely a page that we should take out of your book pun intended, and definitely something that I think a lot of us need to learn from in a way. And, and it's very, very valuable to think about. Uh, one yeah, last thing. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go I was going to jump in just one more point on that. It's I'm still candidly in, I call it like the data point collection phase too, where <laughs> I wanted to give myself kind of a full six months after I quit my Goldman job to say, okay, how do I really let myself um, like say yes to projects, just uh, collect all this information, see what's working. I have my book, my TED Talks going live tomorrow, fingers crossed, I'll share the link. Um, and just all these other you know, ways I'm speaking at universities, starting coaching, but rather than having to put the pressure on yourself of saying, okay, the book is done. How do we you know, reach this goal or monetize, you know, generate this income you know, next month? I'm giving myself this space. And I think that's hugely important for, in, for authors, for business people, just to let ourselves learn, let ourselves be lucky and let ourselves have that ability to pivot and see what's taking off. No, that, that is important. It's the data collection phase. You know what? I'm going to add that to my tablet <laughs> and, and I'm going to add that to my life plan in a way. Uh, no, hmm, very interesting. One, one more thing that I did want to talk about as we kind of wind down this conversation is the, the response from people around you. One of the things that I really liked is when, when you were sharing in, in, in other places I've, I've seen about how it felt as a, a professional writing a book about love in a sense and, and something that would typically, stereotypically be looked at as a very female, emotional kind of thing. And then you being in this career of finance and all. And, and, and there's so many little anecdotes from that, which, which made me really think. And, and one of it was like how you started in, in women's sex in a team that was really you being the only woman among like 20 guys in a sense. And then eventually, of course, that changed and you were in a better, uh, in, a, in a, and now they're very much more inclusive and all of that. But just having those experiences and then having to tell everyone, hey, you know what, guys, I'm writing this book. And, and, and this is something that traditionally people do not think is, is, is a very finance and business world, even though they've obviously never heard your, your take on being an entrepreneur. But um, 
but it's it does cross some stigmas in a way i personally have been in before meeting you in fault of being guilty of hiding my receipts of romance novels that i purchased from my finance person so i'll stop doing that now i'll, I'll own them with confidence because of you but for for something that people often don't talk about especially in the business and finance world how did you start bringing this conversation up and what was the response that you got yeah i mean i was nervous to tell people like i alluded to before like partially because it was like oh you know do you have one foot out the door because you're spending time writing and also because you know it's a woman's story it's not people some people are saying it's a romance novel it's really not it's really fiction because the romance there is a romance through line but it's much more about self-love platonic love figuring life out um but it's interesting you see how things get pigeonholed it's like oh there's there's a romantic story in the book, so it must be categorized in romance, um, which again is putting it in yeah. a box. Um, but I really basically didn't tell people until I already was, I, I quit. <laughs> so my bonus came in, I said, okay, that'll cover my living costs for X months. I, I need to go now because my debut novel is coming out in a few months. And they're like, wait, what? What's going on? Like, this is and, <laughs> like they they kind of didn't know how to respond at first because it was so unusual. Like I don't think any they had been in that situation before. Um, but to their credit, like my Goldman Sachs colleagues were so happy for me, so supportive, men and women getting behind it, support they're having me back to talk with the interns next month. They've given me awesome PR. They have really um I, I don't know if looking back, I'm like, oh, was I wrong to be nervous about that? Or maybe I just did it at the right time. Maybe I actually needed the book to be out there and something they could read and hold for kind of that conversation to be had. Um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that the book can really like shed light on just the female experience uh, being a 20 something on Wall Street and just for male colleagues to have more compassion for their female colleagues and inclusivity and all of that. Like I, I'm grateful so far for the way that that conversation is coming about. Um, but definitely I was nervous and kind of thinking, oh, does this, you know, one close the door on my going back into a more traditional finance job? Um, well, do people not want me back because they think now I'm this modern love writer and that's, you know, not super aligned with the, the Wall Street image. Um, but ultimately, I think it's just, it speaks to when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you treat people well and you have good relationships, um, you know, people do get behind you and support you. And they saw in me that this was lighting me up and this is what I had to be doing. And um, I had been there long enough that, you know, I really had a lot of mentors and advocates and people who were very much, you know, not just rooting for me to fail, quite the opposite, really trying to set me up to succeed. Um, but I also think like when you're the first one doing it, it's kind of, if someone else does it now, it's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them. I'll help them through it. We'll have this community. It felt to me like I was very much going into uncharted territory. But like you said, like so many people on Wall Street and in finance actually love creative writing and actually love writing poems or short stories or novels. And now we're almost, so many people have reached out. We're becoming like this community. And I'm so excited to see how it can change the narrative for um, you know what it means to, I guess, yeah, like bring your full self to work or just be a full human and embracing all of these different parts of you without feeling embarrassed by them. Cause I, I did feel embarrassed. <laughs> I think 
a very needed conversation for for a lot of people as you said who are in love with the writing are in love with the creative world and at the same time feel this need to to go into the business and finance world or they're there and and, and they do love it but they they, they need to balance both and, and explore yeah. both sides in a sense and i guess as we wind down my, my final question for for like before i release you back to your adoring fans to to go for your book tours and all of that my final question would be for for any other student out there male or female finance or not who has this love for the world of writing for the world of of being an author it's not an easy journey definitely as we can see from your story what would you like what would you tell them to do what what's your advice for them because again you a lot of the ones that i know are in pen who have this kind of pull the other way into the world of finance and you've done both in a sense so you're the most well equipped to to essentially tell us what we should be doing or what we should be thinking about so what are your final words of wisdom for this crowd of people who are stepping into the world balancing all of these different things in their heads so i would say one finish a first draft so whatever it is whatever type of writing you want to do just get something down that's a first draft and it's so much easier to then go back and work on it and revise and pitch it once it's out there but i think a lot of times we can almost get stuck saying oh i want to write i want to do this but i'm not and we can make excuses out to wazoo um whether we're working intense jobs or have family obligations like everyone has their time pulled in a million directions if you really care about it and love it as much as you say you do, then you're going to be able to, um, you know, maybe it won't happen in a few months, but over the course of a year, like carve out that time, get the first draft done. Um, and that gives you a starting point. And just the second piece to end on, I think it's really, um, you know, embracing kind of like I alluded to before, but embracing these very different sides of you understand how your more business career will actually make you a better writer from the stories you're collecting, the experiences you're seeing, you have a different glimpse on the world. And great writers are just able to articulate and observe the world and with such an interesting view. So that gives you a real competitive strength. And then on the flip side, you know, your being a writer will actually, if you can harness some of that and bring your creativity into your day job um, and just try to push the bounds a little bit, I, I definitely, the times I did that and I pushed more and I really let my author side come in at work was really successful. So I think it's embracing those um, those differences and seeing how one can lift up the other rather than rather than the narrative that we tell ourselves of, oh, I can't be an author because I have this demanding full time job. Um, and we kind of think it's this binary thing. We have to choose one or the other. And again, not saying it's easy, not saying it'll happen overnight, but just get down to it. Um, and if I can be a resource along the way, like I hope that um, you will reach out as well. Beautiful. And I think if I know another author or, or a aspiring poet who's in the finance world as well, who's a character in your book. So please go and get The Heart of the Deal. Beautiful book. Read it if you guys, and remember the amazing person behind the book in a sense who made it possible. So we'll drop the links in the in the comment section and in kind of the description below. Make sure you guys check it out. And honestly, you have been phenomenal to talk to. I have learned so much and I feel much more excited about where my life is headed, no longer calculating backwards after the read and the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for being on the show and for sharing this with us. 
And I really do think it's going to make a difference in the world of all of these excited authors, finance professionals, men, women alike. And I thank you for following your heart and inspiring the rest of us to do the same. Thank you so much, Harsha. It's been such a pleasure. All right. And with that, I guess our show for today has come to a close. Thank you once again to our audience for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's session, make sure you let us know below. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, all of that stuff. And at the same time, make sure you join us next Thursday at 10 p.m. ET as well for another session of Change Your Reality. And with that, we'll be signing off. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.